0: Hello and welcome. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta wait for a countdown. So, how many times have we done?
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast all about rugby. Tonight we have a two-man special. Myself, and I'm joined by Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing?
0: Good thanks. I'm just thinking we need to really work on the slogan if uh, the podcast all about rugby is the best we can trust.
1: <laughs> we it's it's one of the things that we've taken handed down from us. It used to be an I believe it's an Adam special, so we can definitely do better. But, I think uh, there was
0: there was something on one of the Spotify write ups is um the podcast where the commentary is as unpredictable as the bounce of the ball, or something like that. Uh, no, <laughs>
1: we're already making strides it's still better than the podcast <laughs> all about rugby so yeah, yeah but otherwise
0: uh, otherwise well thank you yeah it's uh, busy times up in in johannesburg on the high felt it's flipping freezing sunday i think the the top temperature for the day was nine degrees
1: so we didn't even reach double digits um pretty frigid yeah and you how are you yeah, good, thanks. It also feels cold in Cape Town. I'm pretty sure it's not as cold as that, but you know, I'm not a Cape Townian. but I feel like I've been here for long enough and we're a sensitive lot. So anytime it gets a little bit cold, you know, we're happy to complain. But uh yeah, getting excited. We are getting, we've gotten past the rugby championship now. Now we're strictly getting into warm-up for the World Cup territory. So we have plenty to talk about including the final matches of the Rugby Championship. We've got some of the warm-up games. And, of course, this weekend, the Springboks are back in action, playing the same opponents from this weekend, but they're playing in Argentina. So, yeah, lots of rugby to get through. Um, So, this weekend, other than the Rugby Championship, there were a number of uh, games with less on the line, I guess. There was no – not involved in – any tournaments um, quickly looking at some of the results uh, over in Japan. They got a good revenge win. I think we've described it as against Tonga after losing the first game to them. Um, Scotland beat Italy. Darcy Graham was on the score sheet twice. I think uh, it was mostly a B team from Scotland, but Darcy Graham will definitely be pushing for first team uh, or his spot in the first team. And he has a ridiculous try scoring record this year. I'm sure that will please you, Andrew.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, he's your draft player, but, uh, he's, he's my Scottish, my Scottish, uh, I don't know if I call him my hero, but, uh, he is <laughs> bloody good. Um, and he, he was a, a beneficiary of a Ben Healy cross kick, which looked quite, quite cool. Ben Healy coming over from, from Ireland to Scotland, immediately getting into the national team. He hasn't even played for Edinburgh yet. Uh, so they, they've got some pretty healthy fly half stocks, but I guess with, Stuart Hogg moving on. Maybe they're thinking Blair Kinghorn to fullback and potentially Ben Healy vying for a World Cup spot at Flyhoff, which would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, he wasn't even close to Irish, uh, national team. He was mm-hmm. decent at, uh, URC level, but obviously they have Finn Russell, who's a very different type of player to Ben Healy, but he definitely provides a bit more of the classical flyhoff structure than someone like Kinghorn does and like like we've discussed maybe he is more of a fullback which will allow him to push back there
0: yeah well, scotland seem to be favoring finn russell and adam hastings when when they're not injured or in hot water with the coach for whatever reason <laughs> that was that finn russell was left out the squad which is absurd it's one of the world's yeah. best in my hearts never mind in scotland
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. and they didn't have a lot of options um obviously in a really tough group with Ireland and the Springboks so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on those other uh warm-up games for Scotland to see what sort of form they take into the World Cup um yeah. other than that Namibia lost to an Argentina 15 uh that was also in Argentina while Uruguay got a one-point win over Chile so a lot of the smaller nations also getting some valuable game time in um, obviously the big teams will always have more games, but important for teams like Namibia and Chile to have some games before the World Cup starts.
0: Yeah, they've, that's nice to see the results tracking, but that's not... Uh, if, if one of those sides is not standing up and really trashing the other, it, it probably means that both of them are so far rather than both being suddenly really good and the level's just raised, so... Does make me worry a You, you almost, you almost want to see an Uruguay like trouncing Chile just to think, well, maybe they'll be competitive against the bigger teams. Um, but yeah, obviously the game time at this, at this stage is like gold. Um, someone like Darcy Graham trying to play himself back into form. I mean, it took him what, like 20 minutes of break but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, very, very important and, going to be for the Springboks too going forward, but uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves.
1: Yeah, um, out of all the World Cup matches that I'm fortunate enough to be watching, one of them is Uruguay against Namibia, and I think that might be one of the closest of the games. Like South Africa-Romania is, you know, unlikely to be too much of a contest, so a game like Uruguay-Namibia, I think Namibia would be un, uh, definitely the underdogs there, but hopefully that will be a nice close game to watch and a really good spectacle.
0: Oh, that that should be really good because both of those teams are going
1: to try to get themselves up for that game
0: for that World Cup win, that all-important win, so they don't go home, you know, with a blank score sheet. So I think they'll be going all-guns blazing. That should be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, definitely. And speaking of all-guns blazing, we were fortunate enough to see quite the performance from new zealand this weekend they i would say battered australia the final score was 38 7 which i don't which i do think was a fair reflection of the way the game went um australia had a couple of periods where they put up a bit more of a fight maybe than the scoreline did suggest but in general new zealand when they turned it on they really did turn it on
0: yeah it was actually quite an entertaining game to watch as neutral i found i quite enjoyed it um as opposed to some of that very jittery era stream rugby we saw from the box in Argentina. It was quite free flowing. It had its moments. It was cool little, uh, snippets, you know, like, I mean, two involving Scott Barrett that I could think of. Firstly, that tackle on Tate McDermott to, to knock, knock the ball out of his hands on the try line. And then as a Shannon Brazil stormed through and scored, that was pretty cool I to see. It. Um, I loved it. Yeah. No, that was great. He absolutely smoked it. And then with the other spam off, Nick White um, telling him to shut up and putting his hands <laughs> over his head. Yeah, uh, but... I think every South African likes to see Nick White take a bit of shit. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I think that's not even restricted to South Africans. Despite <laughs> you know Nick White, <laughs> like a- anyone who watches rugby would have been irritated by Nick White at some point in their you know rugby watching lifetime that they enjoyed seeing that. Um, yeah, there were re- some really really nice moments in this match that I also enjoyed. Um, one near the end was uh, Mark Talia just, I think, it was oh. a goose step um, oh. just to completely leave Karabiti, like, standing still. Um, and then I think he passed it off to Rico for the try. But, yeah, just some moments, you know, it's just where, even though, obviously, as a Springbok fan, you're worried about New Zealand come World Cup time, sometimes it's just, you know, nice to be able to witness those sort of moments and to be in- to enjoy that sort of rugby.
0: Yeah, and Mark Talia really came alive. He had some of that DRC form, which he hasn't quite... Uh, been able to do for the All Blacks yet. Uh, he hasn't, he hasn't had the space and the, the opportunities, but in this game, I think he carried for like 130 meters and five defenders beaten. Like those are, those are URC game stats, uh, yeah. against like, you know, the Drua. I shouldn't, shouldn't disrespect the like that, maybe the Pacifica. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he was really good. And it was also, uh, really nice. Not that I'm a, a supporter of All Blacks rugby, but to see guys like, uh Anton Leonard Brown come back and play well, Luke Jacobson. Um your your draft pick uh, Cam Roygaard getting his debut as well. How do you feel he went? Yes.
1: Yeah, I thought uh you know there wasn't too much to shine for, but uh, I think he fitted in, you know, I think his pass was good. He uh I think he had a couple of good runs. You know, that's what he's been known for in Super Rugby. Those, like, snipes and keeping the forwards honest around the ruck. So, he managed to do that once or twice, which was promising from a debut performance. So, nothing too spectacular, but I think he would have been happy with his debut. I was certainly happy with his debut. Like, we obviously don't have a... um uh, legacy system for our super rugby draft. But, uh, I guess I'm still proud that in his debut season, you know, I, I managed to get him. So I'll always consider him my draft player, no matter what happens <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be up
0: properly. He's going to be what top,
1: top 15, 20 picks, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Than that, I don't know. Um, possibly, I mean, based on this season, if he can perform at, at, that well, he'll, he should yeah, definitely be one of the interesting things is Perinara should be back. That's
0: it. He signed on
1: for another year, I suppose. So so they might have to share responsibilities. I noticed one stat from this game was um, that I saw, I think the Opta account um, gave was that New Zealand beat 41 defenders in this match. And that was the first time they had done that uh, in four or five years. But 41 in one match away from home in the Rugby Championship. Like you were saying, Talia was a lot. So Talia beat nine defenders, and like he said, oh, in Super Rugby form, there were times where he would beat nine defenders in one run, sometimes at Super Rugby, so yeah, he really came alive like we've seen in Super Rugby, and for a team to get over 40 and over 700 running meters in total, that sort of shows how much New Zealand were allowed to uh, play That's, and,
0: that, that's crazy
1: yeah. um, Was I saying that Talia was
0: hitting a URC
1: form? Uh, <laughs> no, that's probably my, by, the, my the, bad
0: uh, super Rugby. I, I, if I, if I said URC and of Super Rugby, I, I, apologize. My South African bias I really forgot <laughs> what Super Rugby is. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, Australia, you know, pulled out all the stops. Uh, you know, there's little talk about Eddie having all these secret tricks up his sleeve and plans and whatever. And, um, like I said on our, on our new social media accounts, which we haven't actually mentioned on the pod before, go and find the league Rugby Banter on. Uh, Instagram and Threads, um, you know, he he said he's going to pull out all the all the tricks, but like the Aussies just don't have the squad depth to be able to do very much. Um, they did they did a few things. I mean, Carter Gordon made his first start for the Wallabies in his third game, and I think he went pretty well. I think he offered more than Quade Cooper did when when Quade came on. I, I still I still feel like Quade is trading off doing all those like cute and um expensive and flashy things but he he's he's older now and he he, his basics are not there anymore. I don't think he really justifies it. He's not he doesn't do the exciting things as well, and he doesn't do the basics as well as he should to make up for it. Um yeah. But do you back Carter Gordon, who's had, you know, three tests to his name in in a World Cup. Look, you've got an easy draw, so
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a tough one for them. Yeah. Um, this, this was obviously his first start. I, I think he was quite, I don't know what iffy. He had some really nice touches as uh, we've seen again throughout Super Rugby, Card Gordon versus, um, he had some, he missed a few kicks and he had some bad touches, uh, but it would to be expected from his first game. So like you say, you sort of, have to back him if if you're going to back him into the world cup like you need to give him as much game time as possible but it's yeah, it's I mean we'll talk more in depth maybe about Australia going forward but like we spoke about last week it's just one of the problems of they almost it felt to me like had to reset uh when Eddie Jones came in in terms of development and planning for the World Cup so even though it's like oh you know we are a couple of games out from the World Cup they don't have enough time to organize things it's their own fault because you know they had a plan it may not have been good enough to win a World Cup sure but uh they decided to go with a different plan when they changed managers or changed coaches just a year out before the World Cup yep yeah, that's
0: that was going to always going to be
1: a reality is new coach
0: uh, he's going to have some new players and he's debuting guys like Carter Gordon, Josh Kemeny, a couple others, you know, just ahead of the World Cup. And are those guys going to be able to pull themselves up? Do they have enough, uh, domestic experience to, you know, convert that to the international stage? There's a lot of question marks there. Then you've got to install your game plan, all the rest of it. So, and then he has a really rough ride of it, you know, from, from now until the World Cup, there's no easy games. Um, yeah. South Africa has a, well, a game against Wales, which is, you know, no disrespect to Wales. Ben would very much disrespect Wales, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's not the world's best opposition anymore. Uh, and then I think we've got a couple of games against some smaller teams after New Zealand and London. Um, was it Georgia and Romania or something?
1: Um, not sure. I'd have to check, but I, I I seem to remember Ant saying there were four games left, so the, maybe including the Argentina games. Uh, but I'm not sure. I'll have to check that. Yeah, um, but 20. definitely Wales and New Zealand, and then perhaps one or two more.
0: Yeah, I think there were some smaller games as well. Um, yeah, just just another couple of comments on that Aussie New Zealand game. Um, Gus Bell, like mm. James Slipper, has been playing. Very well. And he's been rewarded with the captaincy, but Gus Bell took things to a new level. Like, I, I don't know if you can pull up his stats there on that side, but he was immense. Wow. He, it felt like he carried every ball for the forwards. He, he mm-hmm. broke tackles. He made yards. He made this beautiful line break for like 30 yeah. minutes. Of um, yeah. he was, he was incredibly good and unstoppable. And yeah. I think he actually had to be pulled back onto the field later because they had. Injuries to all of their props. I mean, Tanya Latupa came back from injury and looks like he's immediately either inflamed that old injury or it's a new injury, but he was clutching his back and couldn't play on. Um, yeah, so Oz, you know, they're not in a, not in a great way in terms of their squad. I mean, they, Zane, Zane Nongor is one bad injury away from starting as the first choice.
1: Yeah, well. You say that, I mean, tight, tight head is a major issue for them now. So Al Alatoa went off. He's, I think they've confirmed he's out of the World Cup. Alan Alatoa.
0: is a knee or Achilles or something.
1: Yeah, so that's a problem. But then, like you said, Tupo came on. I've, I've seen a lot of criticism for uh, Eddie Jones for the fact that Tupo got injured and they didn't take him off immediately. So, like you said, it was either his back or his something in that region. And because, partly because of that, can't blame eddie jones completely maybe but partly because of that he was uncomfortable in getting low for the tackle so he got a yellow card like almost immediately after that because of the high high tackle um maybe that's uh, pushing things a bit too far but it's two tight head injuries like you say and non has been called into the squad um slipper can play both sides but obviously uh you don't really want that but yeah they're running out of options at tight head i think i think harry johnson holmes is still injured as far as I know that, uh, surely if he's not, he'll, he'll be on the plane soon enough. Yeah, you would hope so. Eh? Um, yeah, just mentioning Bell, you asked some stats. Uh, according to this official stats, you pretty much nailed it. He over 50 meters run, 13 carries, five defenders beaten that cool. one clean break, which was pretty awesome. And yeah, like you said, he, uh, he seems to do all the carrying for the forwards. He made he, he, 13 carries. The next best was five or someone like Skelton. <laughs> so more. Well, clearly more than double, almost three times as much as the next forward. Um, And only a couple of the outside backs were more meters than him. So he is one shining light and there really aren't many (laughs) for them, unfortunately. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here, but um, it's yeah. uh, I don't think they were ever really expecting to win this match, but if you look at this corresponding fixture last year, where were, I don't, if you remember back to, can't remember which referee it was, but who warned Bernard Foley about kicking and then ended the match prematurely or however the, but that was one score difference, um, basically compared to this, which was a blowout 38-7. So there's definitely that regression that has taken place in Australian, as Australian rugby fans, it's not a pretty place to be, uh, you know, 38 days out from the World Cup. Mm-hmm.
0: I think, wasn't it uh Mathieu Renal? It was one of the French refs. Um, it sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was controversial, but I, I remember siding with the ref. So I remember right.
1: <laughs> Sure. Yeah, no, but. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just talking quickly of some of the New Zealand players. Uh, you mentioned two moments from Scott Barrett, but I think even out of outside of those two moments, I've been so impressed with him this year from Crusaders form all the way through to these New Zealand games. I think he's one of the reasons why the New Zealand pack has been able to stand up as strongly as it has, you know, with that was against the Springboks, but also against everyone else. Um, Him, he's having, I think the best season of his life pretty much. I think Whitelock is pretty much looking at a bench spot at this point. Um, yeah. Vitalik is also in good form Um unless they decide, you know, putting Barrett at six, but saying that, uh what's his name? Brazil um, is also playing really well. Kane was obviously not there for this match. Um, I think we noticed in the WhatsApp group uh, at the beginning of the match, at least before things started getting a bit one-sided, there was some trouble that New Zealand were having at the Rucks. Uh There was a couple of clean... Uh, steals from Australia, but you know that sort of got cancelled out quickly by just the the, the scoreline itself. Um, and then just their combinations. I think I think they really are settled by now. You know, we spoke so much about are they going to be able to get their best players on the field? Are they going to be able to stick with you know what they choose and it seems like they are going to, and it's one thing is we'll talk more about South Africa and their performance, but just the importance of cohesion and taking that momentum forward, you know, Uh yes, we still have a couple of games or however many games it is before the World Cup, but it's, it's super important. And if I think back to four years ago, I think the com- there was more confidence in South Africa because of that uptick. Gradually, before the World Cup, where hopefully we still are going to hit that from a Springbok perspective. But New Zealand seemed to be timing it right. Yeah, New Zealand seemed to be hitting
0: their straps and hitting some really nice form. You mentioned a couple of good players there. I mean, Moronga is looking really imperious. Uh, I think he's pretty nailed on from fly half now. Um, you know, Jordy at twelve has really made that his own as well. I think he's he's really blossomed in that position. I mean, he was always an incredible rugby player, whether he was. Yeah, you know, fullback or on the wing or even playing fly off for one or two games. Like he, 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 I, don't, I can't remember him ever having a bad game in a black like, shirt, but at 12, he seems to really be making a difference. So like his go forward ball is as good or better than DDA's, uh, Damien Dowlanders. Um, yeah. and he, and he offers, he offers a couple of other things that I think DDA doesn't. So and he's probably up there with the, the world's best 12s right now, I, I would say.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think from both him and Burden, um, though, have to some degree, not completely. Like you said, Jordy uh, still stands out. Whether that's just because of his height or his <laughs> ball carries, but um compared to when he, when Jordy was playing fullback and even Burden at fly half, I think they're relatively more understated roles in the team. You know, Mm -hmm. Burden at fullback, Jordy at 12. So they seem like less of the stars now, but they're obviously such good rugby players that they are such a key part of what makes the team tick at the moment. But it allows guys like Moanga, even Jordan on the wing, um, Rico next to Jordy. It allows them to flourish a bit more by having these really solid guys. You know, Jordy and Burden, their basics are second to none, I think. So, um Yeah, maybe they don't shine quite as much, especially if you're just watching the highlights and that sort of thing. But I think it's a really key part of what's making this All Blacks backline tick. Yeah, they've
0: got some settled
1: players in positions
0: now. I think the All Blacks, for all their talent and incredible skill and that that rotation of all those talented players to give them more game time and see what they can do, didn't allow them to get that cohesion that you talked about. And now they've had some really consistent selection and we're seeing that, coming through. Uh, they've said they're gonna tweak their team quite a lot for Bloody 2. That is the second game. But sure. which is understandable they've really secured it and you wanna risk injuries and, and can try new things against a Wallaby side who are not doing so well. But yeah. their first their first choice side is starting to take shape. Um we're getting a good idea of who that is now, the front row is the locks, you know, back three now starting to look quite settled. Which before a World Cup is exactly what you want. Um, and they're playing well. They're looking really, really good. Um, Will Jordan's just, I mean, he's immense. Uh, he, even though he didn't play all that much super RP, he's, he's just come back and done Will Jordan things. And I think you make a really good point about, um, Bowden at the back there. He's, yeah, you know, I, I for a long time have been against him playing 15. Uh, up Never really seen Bowden as a natural fullback. I think he's more of a natural fly half, or at least he can affect the game better from fly half. But was Richie really making that his own and Bowden going to fullback? Um, I'm starting to sort of come on side of like, well, Bowden can play another role. He, as you say, his basics are sort of second to none. He's not going to shine as much, but he's just entirely reliable. He's got that decision making from playing pivot that he knows when to, when to kick, when to counter, when to distribute. Um, and he's, he's good at all those things, but he also keeps teams honest because they know what he can do. You can't, you know, relax when you're defending against Bowden Barrett because you give him half a meter and he's past you. Uh, so I'm, I'm coming around to him being a less flashy player, but more reliable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a scary prospect to think that. Burden Barrett is one of the less flashy players in your team. Um just <laughs> you the rest of your team. Uh before we move on to the next match, I just wanted to quickly highlight some of the Australian tackle statistics, which were quite impressive, I guess. Tom Hooper made thirty tackles in this game. Yes. Um he, he was quite highly derided um in his half an hour performance against the Springboks on his debut. Uh, fairly, I think he missed, he still missed five tackles, so he made that he had missed five in this game, but that is a lot of tackles to make in one match, um, and Nick Frost also made 23 that's pretty good but he also missed five so special mention to Angus Bell who made 16 but he didn't miss any compared to these other guys who you know missing tackles all can you I I haven't worked out the fantasy scores for this game uh, Bell, (laughs) Bell, Bell would uh you know just from 16 tackles none missed alone he'd already be up there so he would have at least a 50 in this game if not you know closer to a bigger score but uh yeah so i think some of the defensive effort like if i think of i can't remember who scored it for new zealand but it was on the right wing but it was i think it was over 21 phases it might have been just over that uh so the defense did uh stand up, up For quite a long time but eventually just too many phases of tackling and they got over but perhaps that's one potential positive like some decent defensive uh, performance (laughs) well he's
0: scratched for something because he's he's popped a hell of a big game as Eddie Jones does like you wouldn't expect anything different but man he's somehow got to start backing that up but I I don't see in tests against New Zealand and France how he's going to do that before the World Cup he's (laughs) He's gonna to have to yeah. start producing in the World Cup and just try and use these next few games to set on game plans and selections. I don't think you can expect to win. And I don't think we should expect him to win, given <laughs> you know what he's what he's working with and the form of the team. So yeah, you gotta play for the World Cup now.
1: Yeah. Um, but, uh, speaking of talking a big game, I think we are a little bit guilty of perhaps overhyping this potential Springbok performance, uh, from this weekend. We were all very optimistic of a decent score, a decent margin. We were excited with the likes of Colby, Arons, uh, Billy at the back. Um, but what we saw didn't quite match our optimism and I said on our group that South Africa were fortunate to win. It was a really, really scrappy game, not the most enjoyable, partly out of the Springboks control. Uh, if you think of stoppages for injuries and, uh, some of the other refereeing issues. Um, but all in all, what are, what are your first impressions from South Africa beating Argentina by one point up in Joburg?
0: It, I mean, I think you have to start by just saying like we all thought this was going to be 15 20 point like at, at least double digit win let's put it that way I think I put 20 on super Brew and it, it should have been if you look at where where the teams are what their trajectories have been I mean don't don't take it away from Argentina that they beat Australia the week before but um, you know Argentina had never won two or two international games in a row against Tier one nations or something like that. Okay. Um, which they, I mean, they nearly turned around. If, if Carreras had made all of his kicks, we were in serious trouble. Um, yeah. but he didn't. And we ground out a win. And, uh, I mean, they, they did score after the hooter. So you have to take that into account as well. But those are all excuses for what should have been a much better performance. You know, we had a very strong side selected, very exciting. Uh, some combinations that I think we expect to see in in the World Cup, in the big games. Uh, so it's it's worrying that we can't put Argentina away yeah. and it's going to be interesting to see how our B-plus team goes next week against what I expect to be a fairly similar opposition. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts?
1: Uh, it's always hard to know how to gauge this Argentina. Time team. Um, Like you said, they came off a win against Australia. They beat England at Twickenham recently. Last year, they also beat the All Blacks. Um, And so I think sometimes we don't give them enough credit, but there's also a reason for that. They, as we've spoken about throughout our podcasting time, they blow so hot and cold. I don't think this was one of their hot performances. You know, they played relatively well, but they definitely weren't like super good. Uh, It was more just South Africa really weren't good in the fact that I think that they were, South Africa were um, unfor- or fortunate to win. I was disappointed, I think, with a lot of the basic errors. So basic errors are also a tough one to know. Like Rather a basic error, like a simple knock-on, for example, like Malherber or Vili in the first half that I can think of, where it's really no reason to drop it other than you've looked up too soon or you just weren't concentrating Rather those errors than like systemic errors where it's like, oh shit, something's wrong with our system this close to the World Cup and that sort of thing. So yeah. again, maybe just looking for positives. But all the guys we were also hoping for big performances from and who needed it going into the World Cup, you know, like Ori and Finstad and those sort of players who are pl- really playing for their spot in the squad, they didn't really stand up either. Um, and maybe it's harsh because when when the whole team is struggling, uh, it's, it's a bit more difficult to... But saying that, I think there were still positive performances and sometimes it sounds like a bit of a broken record, you know, the likes of Eben and Kitchoff, just week after week put in, putting in like really, really strong performances. Um, yeah, PSF was doing what he does so well. Uh, I think Damien, uh, DLND, uh, other than him stealing a try from the forwards, he also, okay. he seemed to at least have a lot of energy. I feel like he wanted to make his performance known. He hasn't played a lot this year. And I, I think it was noticeable that he was just very urgent compared to a lot of the other players on the field. Um, so most disappointing, I think, was the probably the back three in general, just hoping to see something more exciting from them, but them not really getting an opportunity. Um, and I think they struggled a bit, I don't know if it was tactically, but more, even things like the under the high ball, they, we just, I mean, not just them, but we just weren't taking things cleanly. So dropping like really dropping a high ball or just not being able to compete properly. And that just meant the whole performance was disjointed. Yeah. the high ball issue is starting to become
0: a pattern now. Um, hopefully it's something that can be rectified. Otherwise we're just going to be peppered with high balls and from a from a spectator's perspective, that's rubbish rugby right? <laughs> to watch. Um, but it also gives a guy like Mapimpi a chance to stake a claim because you know, he, he isn't as exciting as he was four years ago. Uh, he's not scoring tries at quite the same rate. Uh, but one of the things he was an expert at was chasing, got declared box kicks or Andre Pollard up and unders. Um, and given that those two are likely to be back at the steering wheel, Come the World Cup and those tactics, you know, if we've got the likes of Mapimpi playing could work for us again. Um, and Moody can potentially fill a very similar role, although he's generally playing on the right wing. Uh, he's also like 1.9 meters tall. He's a big kid. Uh, so he can do it too, but that is one of the things that, uh, Michael Zola Mapimpi is really, really good at. Um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't our best performance. Uh, Steven Kitsoff also rescued us quite a few times with some timely, uh, steals over the ball. He's become yep. a real jackal, jackal of note, uh, at rack time. Um, as you said to Alander, he looked, he looked hungry, didn't he? He looked like he was trying to prove a point, especially in the first half. He really looked like he wanted the ball and to show what he can do, which is good. I mean, off the back of a really, really bad performance. That's what you want your, your best players to do. So we'll see we'll see how his Hazm goes this week, but then you've got to judge you gotta judge uh, the game against Argentina and Australia versus New Zealand and Argentina for uh, between the two of them. So there's lots of lots of question marks still. And as you said, it would have been really good to see the Springboks use this game as an opportunity to start getting into some real momentum and getting some strong performances under the belt and getting you know, the confidence of the fans up. And I think it's just done the opposite of that, which is re- really unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I think, again, perhaps looking too hard for the positives is, you know, that, that old adage of a uh, good team plays terribly, but is still able to grind out the wins, you know, that sort of thing. Like, I think... Uh, if we are sitting here talking about a one point loss with the same sort of performance, it would be a lot more doom and gloom, um, obviously, but the fact that it is still a win, and like Argentina are still uh, one of the top ten i guess the top ten, but sometimes they feel like they should be higher uh, top ten test nations so sometimes it 's uh, easy to take these things for granted uh, it 's still you know another win. Um, there are always unfortunate moments. We saw Faf play almost a whole game because maybe we can touch on it a bit, uh, without yeah, going sure. into too much. But, uh, Grant Williams lasted probably five seconds of the match. Um, first kick from the kickoff, he kicked it back, got charged down and at the same time got a, a hip from fullback, uh, Malia mm-hmm. into his head. So what were your first impressions and what are your impressions now of that incident?
0: Um, first impressions. I mean, sure. Just seeing it was a little bit sickening, and when they played the replay, I, I didn't really want to watch that again. <laughs> it was pretty horrible. And he was lying there with his like, eyes half open, but completely knocked out, cold. Um, yeah. you know, my first impression is like, what a shame for Grant Williams. Like, really, really sucky for him on his first start for the Springboks. It's his big opportunity to. To make a name and stake a claim, and he didn't have the opportunity to do that through I think arguably what was foul play. We'll see what the what the sighting commissioner says. We haven't got that information as of time of recording. But it felt like had that incident happened in the 70th minute, they might have looked at it more seriously. I think maybe the fact that it was the first player of the game influenced the ref's decision. Maybe. Um, it felt very reminiscent of that CJ Stunder incident on Pat like very yep. reminiscent. And that was a straight red against, again, a French ref being very decisive. Um, so I think the fact that they didn't, it, it did, it did get referred to the TMO, didn't it? Uh,
1: I don't think that it did. It, if it did, it was in the ref's ESA yeah, saying play on, but, um, they, yeah, they they were saying. I think maybe the TMO did say it was a rugby collision, um, yeah.
0: in which in retrospect it feels it feels like more than more than that. I mean, you you are a, you are welcome to jump up to try and contest the ball and charge down the ball, but it doesn't mean that you can hurtle into someone's head at full speed. Like you know, um I saw a clip of Nick Mallett saying, "If you slowly neck roll someone in a ruck." You aren't really endangering that player all that much, but you will get a yellow card for that. And to say that, you know, hurtling yourself into another player, turning your hip against him, so you're not even looking at the ball at that point and clattering into him like that is not reckless is, is not good enough.
1: Yeah. For me, there's not even a shadow of a doubt that it's reckless, right? Um, the mate and, and for that, for me, then that means that it's foul play, but, I, I think a lot of people who argue against it say the main, main difference between this and, for example, the Lambie and Sander one, which, like you said, is quite similar was that he got the ball. So yeah. that some people would say that makes it a fair contest. But for me, even if it's a fair contest, it doesn't take away the recklessness of it. And it's quite reminiscent, I think, um, to drift <laughs> slightly away from rugby for a moment in, in football, it quite often happens where people will say they've won the ball and that makes a thing something fine and i have uh, for some reason it's a vivid memory of um nigel de jong playing for man city against newcastle and he won the ball first but he also went so hard through the ball and then he broke Hutton Ben leg on his debut for newcastle because okay. he was that reckless foot off the ground through the ball through another player's leg and that wasn't even a foul at the time and for me, like, you know, that <laughs> if you're going that hard off the ground, potentially breaking another player's leg, how can that not be considered dangerous play? And that's the same the way that I see this. Like, you can't throw your body in such a way that you risk, you know, I think the hip is one of the hardest bones, which you can probably connect with. You know, if someone said that and probably like the kneecap or your your skull maybe i don't know the biology of it that well but um it seems a pretty hard bone right the hip bone so there's no way that it's not reckless to jump with no sort of um or yeah not no control and not knowing where you're going to land so you are potentially putting another player at danger so when i first saw it i i thought it needed to at least be checked you know um he won the ball yes but that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want basically at least in my mind and like you said we'll see what the sighting commissioner said but I think the other thing was that the referee didn't stop the game and maybe I think that was partly from being so early in the game maybe just not realizing the extent and wanting the game to go on and again maybe that's giving him the benefit of the doubt but ideally anytime someone gets knocked out like that first thing you do is stop the game like uh, safety is obviously more important.
0: Player was like a meter or two away from it. It wasn't like he was in a safe, safe area. So I, I totally agree the ref should have stopped it. But I guess refs, refs are human too, and like all the players, he's got his nerves at the beginning of the game and he have not settled into it yet. Uh, and I, I think that might have influenced him. As much as I don't like, you know, saying things about refs because I, I don't think it's a, usually a constructive way to talk about a rugby match, but in this case, it does feel like there was influence going on.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think the safety part is more important than like a, an accusation of bias. Like just being yeah. able to get safety, safety right is more important. Um, and there was another inc- incident with the, uh, the Argentine lock. I think Paulos, mm-hmm. where That's he up. also looked like he got knocked out. And again, the game wasn't stopped until one of our players, I think, stopped, should, like motioned the ref to stop the game. I can't remember who it was, but, um, yes. Yeah. So just like that sort of thing is something which, I think it's not, not to criticize the ref, but just being able to say they need to get that better rather than the decision making, which is part of, you know, more of like a skill set. And yeah, you, everyone's like fans criticize. That's what they do, but to focus on it too much is not so constructive. Yeah. Just all the
0: shame. All the best to Grant Williams. Um, I hope he, I hope he gets one more game before, uh, the world cup just to have another go. Um, what, what are your feelings right now on that picking order in, in the scrum offs? Cause we have four or five really good options. We haven't yeah. seen Jordan to play all virtual Yankees. So what do you Yeah. Do? Well,
1: well, I'm really surprised. I mean, I, we're going to get into the team in a bit more depth for this weekend, but I was really surprised to see Hendrickson not even on the bench for this weekend. So he is on tour. He flew over to Argentina. We haven't seen him this year play for South Africa, at least. Um, So his time, assuming that he is an option not already set in stone, which I think he might be, but I'm not sure. Um, His time is running out for, as far as I understand, after this week, they announced pretty much the team for the World Cup, right? So he he did So he doesn't have any games. So he's either in the squad now or he's not in the squad, <laughs> which is kind of scary for him. But at the same time, it seems like it's Faf, Hendrixer, and one other, right? Based on recent game time slash form. Yeah, um, based
0: on the end of tour as well. I mean, Jaden was starting preferentially to Faf. So he does that in his favor. Um, and obviously the medical, medical team's been supervising his recovery and we'll know where he's at and fitness levels and that but who's who's the third scrum off i think is the big question. up
1: williams or yankees yeah well i think yankees is again not getting enough game time um and i would have said uh williams was the front runner before this weekend and as much as it wasn't anything of his own doing you know that caused him not to Make any impact this weekend. It's a bit of a problem for him because now we're going to see Reynard get a full game. Like uh, we were saying last week, he, he performed really well against Australia. So if he has a good game this weekend, it's hard not to choose him.
0: Yeah, I, I saw something that was suggesting that Grant Williams might be the superior pick as a third scrum half because he, I mean, third scrum half is unlikely to play much in the World Cup in any case. And taking him is almost like taking a utility back because he can cover wing. So number one, it allows you to, you know, pick another player in the squad who you might not have had the flexibility to pick otherwise, but also allows you to keep that six, two split. If he can cover both scrum half and wing and you can have someone else who covers centers or full back or fly half. So this is another, another factor. But we'll yeah, see I, enough what the thinking is.
1: Yeah, I don't love that thinking, but I get it, especially with the sort of, um, squad numbers and the thinking about making it as efficient as possible. Um, is there anything else from this game that really stood out for you before we move on to just our quick review of the rugby championship? Um, I was just thinking about your comments
0: about like what is endangering a player. I thought that, sure. that poor Argentine wing that got run over by Ebenezer Beth might have... (laughs)
1: Might have a claim to
0: being endangered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think it was Ben or someone on the WhatsApp group. Uh, when Billy made that pass, it looked like one of those really bad passes where mm. you skip, you, you know, you, you destroy your overlap and you just make it a one-on-one. And then you realize it's even on a. I think it was a fly half actually. It was Santiago yeah. and Carreras. So, but even so, Eben against a wing, Eben against a fly half. It's not exactly <laughs> a fair contest. So it's actually like, well, Billy's amazing vision to be able to spot that because otherwise you just passing to the wing and one of the things now that I remember um, Eben was pretty much the only person not guilty of this but it seemed like maybe five or six separate occasions where it was just passing too wide and running it out or getting tackled out Mm -hmm. it was like just um, treading that line the touch line way too closely and and not Mm -hmm. judging it right It, it, it was so frustrating like literally at least five times I think it happened where you know have a potential um, attacking moment piece of momentum and then just it dies from being too close to the touchline and Argentina get a uh, yeah. line-out.
0: Yeah. Was, Dwayne was culpable of that, I think twice at least. Uh, and he said these attacks just peter up. And it's something that the all-black sides through the years have done so well, think of the guys like Kieran Reed in the five-meter. He always used to be on that touchline, either supporting the wing for the rack or taking a crash ball, or creating, he was so good at that. Um, Dane Coles and Cody Taylor, like really good exponents of that, you know, just that yeah. last five, 15 meters in the, in the, in the tram lines, you know, having an impact on the sides. South Africa don't seem to do that as much. Um,
1: I mean, yeah. especially I, I think of the sort of edge forwards and I think Khaleesi is actually one of our better ones and obviously yes. he's out at the moment. So especially like when he's playing well, you so often see him rampaging, you know, close to the touchline and he's really good at it. So perhaps it's also a role if he, if he's not there, hopefully he will be fingers crossed. Um, mm-hmm. but if he's not someone else can, you know, try and at least, uh, fulfill that gap. Yeah, I saw
0: a video of someone posted of Sio Kulisi doing contact training uh, in the warm-up for the test match, like taking part in scrums and line-up more practice and things. So clearly his, his knee's coming on okay if they're willing to let him do that. And he, uh, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or social media, but he's always posting stuff in the gym with uh, inspirational Bible verses. So it seems like he's working hard and uh, getting back to good form. Um And if I remember right, Nino
1: said he might play against Wales. So that's pretty good news. If if that's what it takes, then I'm happy for him to keep posting the Bible verses. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, who was it? I think it was uh, Naholo had his uh, freaky Fijian medicine mm. or something mm. that he came back from a broken leg in like less than six months. Uh, yeah, okay. whatever works. It's, <laughs> I'm not criticizing. It's uh,
0: from a broken leg to playing at the World Cup. It was some, something crazy. Some yeah. crazy Islander voodoo. Movie.
1: <laughs> but it, <Exactly>. worked. <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. It worked. He managed to play in the World Cup. Um, everyone,
0: everyone, hashtag pray for
1: Sia. <laughs> hashtag pray for Sia. Yeah. Well, uh, so, yeah. So, the, coming to the end of the rugby championship, if we quickly take a look at the log, um, Despite our relative doom and gloom, the Springboks finished second behind New Zealand, of course, who took home yet another rugby championship, yet another Lettuce Slow Cup this weekend. Um, Argentina third. And like we were discussing, Australia winless. Um. I think we'll quickly touch on each of the teams and how they feel going forward with just a couple of warm-up games for the World Cup. Uh, we've talked a little bit, of course, about the teams, but New Zealand probably in the best place. As we said, they've been picking up momentum. They have a, at least a game against us. They're playing Australia again this weekend. I'm not sure what other warm-up games they have. I think um maybe a Northern Hemisphere team. But uh they obviously would be pretty pleased with their, their progress this year.
0: Yeah, New Zealand are looking quite hot right now. Um was that a quote from Zulander? Cancel so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that New Zealand's yeah. so hot right now. Yeah, New um, are looking pretty good. Um and you, you think of some of the, the injuries they've had as well, must say guys like Sevi Reese, who was a nailed on starter for the World Cup, like they they are looking really good. As we said, cohesion selection, all all playing into their hands at the moment. Just can't cannot wait. For them to keep selecting Shannon Frizol, and he makes a major screw up in a big game. I just—it's <laughs> coming. It, it's my—it's my prophecy for the World Cup. My hot take uh, is Shan Frizol will either lose them again or make a huge screw
1: up at some point. <laughs> that's that's a, a fair prophecy. I think more likely is that he will just not turn up for a big game, which you know, and one, one which then they get beaten. I mean. I'm pretty scared from a Springbok perspective right now, knowing that uh even if we beat Ireland in the group stage, have to play one in France or New Zealand. And I think, like I was saying maybe last week, that I think I'm most scared of France and New Zealand at the moment. So that sort of speaks to how well, I think, New Zealand, how strong they've looked this year, um, how strong France looked at the end of last year. And obviously they're playing at home. But uh yeah. I, I, like you said, New Zealand have injuries, but you wouldn't really think so based on how this year is going. Someone like Talia is stepping up to the plate really nicely. I think their forwards, ah, uh, I've got to, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself and like they mm-hmm. keep sort of surprising me. They, cause at some point it's going to stop being a surprise, you know, guys like De Groot and, um, who's playing tight head, uh. Lomax, yeah, like just because in my mind, they, they still seem more like super rugby level players, but they are, they're stepping up every week. They're providing solid, if not like powerful scrums and like very strong around the, around the field as well. So they've, they've got good options now and the, the tight forwards are standing up. And that was a weakness when New Zealand have been playing badly, just like one area where they could be dominated by the likes of France, South Africa, Ireland would be up front. And that's not happening. Or I mean, they played South Africa once this year, but that didn't happen then. But they are just generally looking stronger. And it will be interesting to see how they fare against France, especially in that first game of the World Cup. Yeah, and it's, it's good that the, the coaching staff
0: backed those players because they didn't have an easy ride starting out. They, they were not convincing, but yeah. the coaches stuck by them and they're, they're paying dividends now. So yeah, they're a scary prospect. And I yeah. think that they can be very happy with their, the rugby championship uh,
1: record. They did really, really well. Yeah. Three wins out of three, uh, 75 point plus points difference. <laughs> so South Africa were the only other team to have a positive points difference. That's two wins out of three, uh, for nine points. So obviously a, uh, a good win over Australia, uh, disappointing loss to the All Blacks in so much as we lost. The scoreline was relatively close, but uh, it wasn't It wasn't a blowout. And then the disappointing win, if we can call it that, over Argentina. So in general, um, I think from my side, again, we've said it a couple of times, but the cohesion and the, the lack of that sort of more upward momentum going forward in, at such a crucial time is possibly the most disappointing thing. But at the same time, it's to be expected when you – have us, you need to have a squad for a World Cup and there is still time before. So definitely not all doom and gloom.
0: No, not all doom and gloom. And we had an opportunity to try a whole lot of new combinations, give players time to, you know, stake a claim. Guys, like, I mean, if, if we were just doing essentially what New Zealand have done so far is just select your best side every week. That's fine. And it gives guys a chance to play together and get that cohesion and momentum going. And that's important. But the coaching staff chose to rotate the squads, uh, limit the travel for some people, except for Kanye Ham. Apparently he's like, he's asked for more air miles or some, some, for some reason they're they're sending him all over the world. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Heaven kids have been everywhere. I don't know if they're maybe sick of their wives or, um, they, they've been traveling everywhere. But the other guys have been pretty sensibly rotated and they've been given time to travel in advance and, you know, acclimatise. And so I think from a squad management point of view, that's been good. But also seeing players in different situations, you know, Rossi and and Jacques have all these plans in the back of their minds that the regular rugby fan isn't exposed to. So I'm hoping that they got what they needed. From a results and enjoyability point of view, it wasn't. I think it was less than what was expected at the outset of the Rugby Championship. I think two two out of three wins is acceptable, but I think we we expected to see a better all round overall performance from Springboks. I don't think that's unfair to say.
1: Yeah, I think that yeah, pretty much nails it. You know, two wins out of three, like you said, that's what a win over New Zealand, of course, would have been nice, but maybe that would have been the cherry on the top of the cake but uh, just better performances would have really been met expectations so slightly under expectations I think for South Africa Um, and it's such a fine balance you know World Cup year between getting game time for your squad and that momentum so it's a tough one to, and it's easy to criticize but it's tough to get right uh, moving on to Argentina then, so one win out of two and an away winner against Australia, which is obviously great. Then losing by one point away to Springboks, but then quite a comprehensive home defeat to the All Blacks. Um How do you think they're feeling going into World Cup on the easy side of the draw? They just have to beat England and Japan to top a group. <laughs> yeah, they they can top
0: a group. Um, I think they'll probably come second, but they can definitely win that big game against England. Um, I do think they're going to beat Japan. They, they've looked really good. I mean, they've had their fairly new, fairly unorthodox fly half bed in quite nicely. I think he's been, apart from goal kicking, perhaps, which you could argue cost them the test against the Springboks. Um, where they would normally have Bofelli, I guess, at least, right? That's true that's true so they do need to think about that a little bit but overall i think their combinations have been good they've also tried a few new players out they've tried new things um some new lineup moves um etc so i think they're looking they're looking good i think they would have really loved to beat the springboks i mean for them it probably would have been their best rugby championship to date if that had happened but they didn't manage to But they they are looking, weirdly, I think New Zealand are looking like they're on the up. Argentina, for me, are looking like they're on the up. South Africa is sort of static or maybe going backwards from what um, the high standards we do set for them. And then lastly, I mean, we haven't got to Australia yet, but they seem to be going backwards and are a bit in the wilderness right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to move on to Australia. And we have discussed them already in terms of their, their coaching decision, which sort of put them in where they are right now. And, um, yeah, they're definitely backwards. Um, and there's not a lot of time. And as we discussed, they have difficult fixtures. So here's a question for you. Do you think when they hired Eddie Jones, they were looking towards this World Cup and hoping for a miracle? I would call it a miracle. Or they were looking past this World Cup. And I don't think that they were because Eddie Jones has only signed on until this World Cup, I think.
0: No, I think he was a World Cup Hail Mary, basically. So he will, he will be judged on his World Cup performance, not the Rugby Championship or the Blairs or any of the other tests he'll play. I think he, he will ultimately be judged on, on the World Cup and how Australia go in a very favorable year for them.
1: It's a crazy one. I mean, I feel like any coach, even I don't know, who's the best coach who's ever coached? Who's uh for South Africa? I mean, <laughs> it's Rassi's pro- probably right up there, but whoever mm-hmm. you might think is the best coach in the world, I feel like if they were in the position that Eddie Jones would be in, it's almost an impossible task. So, I guess Eddie Jones is one guy who's probably whose ego is probably that big that he felt that he maybe could do something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, John, John again, Dobson.
0: John Dobson.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe he could have done something, but it's a, it's a, it's a difficult task for them. Um, they go into, they go out of this rugby championship. I think it might be the, obviously it's a shortened one, but it might be the first time ever they've lost every single game of a rugby championship. I wouldn't be surprised. Um and they go into a World Cup with very little momentum, very little, uh, happiness, I think within the camp and within the sort of general supporter base, just based on what's happened. Uh, but then on the plus side, they have that easy draw. They have time to build momentum in the World Cup potentially. And then anything can happen in, in knockout games, right? Like they, their toughest game in the group is Wales, probably maybe Fiji, you would argue, maybe Georgia uh Wales have not exactly been that hot either so they have a lot of like winnable games they could win four out of four in the group stage and then go to the quarterfinal face England or Argentina you know definitely win that and then you never know in a big semi-final things stranger things have happened so I can see why Eddie Jones might back himself sure but it's gone about as badly as it could since he's become head coach right pretty much yeah so He's
0: lost um, yeah, no no
1: Aussie coach in the
0: last twenty years has won the Bledislow. and the last one, two when it was Eddie Jones, I think. So um yeah, he he could have he could have got a bit more out of this, uh, but he has the opportunity to play his side into form in the group stages of the World Cup. So he has that going for him. And I think he's gonna be banking on that now. But as you say, I think the difficult thing to manage now is with Poor performances, or let's say poor results uh, thus far, and with you know, more expected poor results to come in the next couple of games before the World Cup, is keeping that uh, change room happy, like keeping the people in the squad buying into the idea that they can win the World Cup, keeping them motivated to train, keeping their heads, you know, psychologically in the right place. That's going to be the real challenge because he can. Yeah, as I yeah. said, play his team into form in the World Cup. He has that luxury.
1: And he's like one of those sort of coaches slash managers, you know, like in football too, who, like after this weekend, he sort of puts the performance on himself and tries to shield his players, you know, mm-hmm. and he's sort of like that Mourinho-esque um, type of personality so that often does have more of a you know, good short-term effect. So maybe he, maybe he'll surprise us, and it should be, if nothing else, fascinating to see what happens um, from here till the end of his tenure as head coach of Australia. One, the one thing Eddie Jones
0: can't do because his ego will never allow him to is to say that they're the underdogs and they, you know, there's no expectations and all of that. Australia, <laughs> given given the current state of the game in Australia, like they could be. Very justifiably put in that bracket and say, "Well, you know, we're in a building phase, all that stuff. You know, all the excuses could be used, but Eddie Jones is never going to go there. It's just not, not in his nature."
1: (laughs) And to be fair to him and Australian rugby, I guess it sells like they had what the biggest crowd since however many years as well at the ACG. Crazy. I mean given the form and given the state of the team at the moment, that's pre- and given how far away a lot of the fans had to sit, <laughs> that's, <laughs> pretty cr- that's pretty crazy that they got that turnout. Um, so Eddie Jones does a phenomenal job of like hyping up matches, even against the Springboks. It was like he made that game seem like it was going to be such a bigger deal than it was. Eventually it was a relatively easy, you know, win for the Springboks, but I think mm-hmm. – It seemed a bit more daunting at the time just because of his presence almost.
0: That's true. I mean, if
1: any of the listeners want to procrastinate even more after
0: this already lengthy episode, go and watch some of his uh, commercials that he's done with Australian TV and just his post-match interviews are classic
1: always. Yeah. If nothing else, good for the camera and good for the crowds. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, moving on, I think, from rugby championship roundup, just briefly, we have the lineup for this weekend, um, it's the Springbok lineup for the game in Argentina. Uh, do you know where they're playing in Argentina? Are they – usually it's – is it Mendoza? It's Salta or Mendoza or Buenos Aires. I think it's Buenos Aires at their bank. Pretty sure okay. it's Buenos Aires. Yeah. Uh, that would probably be at least travel for the players, so hopefully that you know, sounds about right. And um, – as we were saying, this is probably the last uh, match before the final squad is named and very much uh, resting players. So a lot of the first choice Springboks have been left at home and the team that has been announced gives a lot of players an opportunity such as Andre Esterhazen, um, who hasn't had a lot of game time, Dion Ferry, Corbus Reynach, those sort of players a chance to start. We've also got Bongi Bonambi getting his first captaincy which is quite a big deal. I mean, there's still only been 60-something captains. So being captain, even if it's just one match, is, is a pretty big deal in Springbok uh, in the Springbok history books. So congratulations to him. And, yeah, other than the ones that I've mentioned, anything that really uh, sprung out to you, Andrew, this weekend?
0: Um, I think it's great to see Marnie Lubbock continue to be backed in the team jersey. Um, yeah, it's one thing from... we wanted, yeah. Yeah, that's a tick in our box, at least. Uh, we also called for Damien Willemser to get some time at full back. We're seeing that. So that's good. Another tick there. Um, Esther Hazen is there. You've talked about him. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a good side. I'm, I'm still impressed at how, how quality a side we can put out as our B plus side, as I call it. We're not really fully a B side. There are guys there who could argue they are first choice. Um, few of them, not many. Maybe Jas- Jasper Visa and Bongi and, um, it might be about it. Pakazone Mapimpi is also on the edge, but just a bit about, um, Mapimpi's. I, I sort of feel given our, our stocks at outside back now, he, he's sort of playing for his spot in the team. This is, uh, an important game for him to show that he's still got it as compared to, Try scoring machine Kirkley Owens who's, who's on the bench, so we'll see where they put him, at uh, sixty or seventy minutes. Uh, but Makaizales he's got an
1: opportunity here that he can't really waste. I don't know. Do you get that same impression? I, to some degree, yes. It, it, it's a tough one because I think mostly because Kirkley Owens has just been so impactful. You know, when he's played, he's really in his nine or ten games, he sits the field of light, pretty much, you know, scored 10 tries. I think it's 10 tries in nine games. Um, And he's just looked dangerous every time and mostly solid under the high ball, mostly like no real glaring weaknesses, but really attacking, uh, really good attacking. So he's the one I think who's put that pressure on my Pimpy. I don't think my Pimpy's played badly. But like you say, he does seem to have lost a little bit from four years ago, which is understandable. I think he's into his thirties now. He's a wing. No swings struggle to make it this far. So, <laughs> you know, he's, maybe he's done well enough, but I think he's still a very, very good player as we've seen for the sharks on occasion. Um, I would, I would not want to write him off just yet. And I really hope he has a good game here. And I think even if he doesn't, he'll definitely be in the squad despite being pretty much just an 11, right? Maybe a 14, but just a wing. He doesn't cover anything else. So quite one-dimensional if you're looking for that um, greater squad depth in terms of playing more than one position. But I think there's no chance he won't at least be in the squad, which is fine, I'm happy with. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's a big game for him. And hopefully that hunger will see him elevate his game to something that we haven't yet seen this year in Springbok Colours.
0: So would you be taking four wings potentially to the World Cup? I mean you've got you got Moody and Mapimpi who are playing this week, you got KLA and you got Ches and Colby. Mm-hmm. Um, all four of them have played pretty much exclusively on the wing for the Spring Box. Colby mm-hmm. and KLA can play fullback, but yeah. you take all of them? Does Ken and Moody miss out because he's the least experienced and maybe the
1: the sort of wild card? I haven't quite done my calculations, but mm-hmm. if I remember thinking about it, I think when I had thought about it most recently, um, I think I had Moody missing out. And whether that's, you know, including Williams as your third scrum off slash covering the fourth wing option, or if it's, you know, someone, they really like playing, um, on the wing for some reason. Mm-hmm. They, they played Creel at yeah. 14 before. Yeah. I think we'll see Creel, um, DLND and. Still not sure if Esther Hazen's going to make the squad as well as he's played. Like, you know, Willemster covers 12. It's a tough one because it feels like it's going to be tough Whoever gets left out, right? You're giving these guys game time now. Ari and Klain are both going to be there. One of them's going to miss out. It's going to seem super weird to bring Klain back for two games and not include him in the World Cup squad. It might happen. Ari's getting good game time. He's probably like, even though he wasn't good on the weekend, he's actually looking more and more like a springbok. Um, it's going to be tough for whoever's left out and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I don't know. I think, I don't think anyone's certain at the moment. Um, whether it's Dion Free as a third hooker, also don't love that, but I completely understand it helps in terms of the squad and, you know, having him as a loose forward option and
0: mm-hmm. the loose forwards themselves. The, are
1: su- Yeah. Super interesting. Someone like Mostet allows us to take a lock. Fewer, I guess yeah. I mean he's almost predominantly being used as a loose forward these days even though I still think of him as a lock so this yeah. game is going to yeah sorry this game is going to perhaps answer a lot of those questions before the selectors to make after after this is done
0: yeah we've got those utility forwards you mentioned for Reeve Um there's <clears throat> Peter Steff that they moved into lock in one of the games I think it was against Australia Um, I don't know if that was pre-planned or not, but he obviously made his name as a lock. I think he was, well, no, he he moved to blindside by the time he made World Rugby player. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, but he can play lock. Um, but then we have such good locks. So (laughs) like, you don't want to leave quality at home, but you've only got so many places, but we are getting a bit bit ahead of ourselves. (laughs) We were talking about next weekend. Obviously, we don't know what Argentina are going to bring to the party. But this, I I still maintain, given that even though our A team or A minus team or whatever you want to call it, like one by one point, I still think there's enough in this squad that we should still expect them to win. Do you agree? I
1: I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the things that we have discussed quite extensively throughout the year is the gap having closed between first choice and second choice. And I think that speaks to what you're saying where there's not that much difference. If we expected a big win last week, we should expect them to be able to, I think if they play as well as they can, they should definitely win. Well, maybe that again, sounds a bit too optimistic, I, but there's, they definitely can win. Um, and that's what we want to see. So I think we have to be thinking optimistically at this point. The one point of concern that I, Slightly have, and it, I think it relates to the squad in general, and even leading up to the World Cup. Um, I think having Inyakani as number one, when I think of him, I still think of him as a tighthead, and I think his best games have been a tighthead. And he is one of those guys who's done well enough when he swaps over, you know, like they don't hesitate to include him as a loose head option. But if you think we have Kitshoff, Kitshoff, and, um, we have then Inyakani to toy these guys, and then now we have Gerard come on the bench and he's making his debut off the bench this weekend. So congratulations to him. But he's suddenly right up there because of Ox's injury. I think Ox should be back. But um, Ox's injury, I think, has left us a bit exposed. And if something happens to Kitsov, that is probably one of the more problematic positions, I think. I think there's just a little lack of depth there, proper depth there. Um, with no offence meant to Ox. It's just he, his injury, I think, has exposed it.
0: Yeah, I, I hope he, he should be back in time if I have my timelines right. Mm. So let's hope we do see Ox and Jet back soon so he can get some game time. I, I would love it if uh, Thomas DeToye and Trevor kinda like, each scrum just rotated. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> so, like Thomas the Toy plays tight head for one scrum and then he's losing it. scrum. <laughs> it's like just people guessing, uh, it would be fun. As an experiment, as yeah. a from, from the Springboks point of view to see how, how they go in the different positions. I mean, they're both on the field and they can both play both sides, supposedly. Um, so why, why not just to, just to confuse it and see if the commentators are astute enough to pick it up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty cool. I think it must be the first time ever that, that has happened. So <laughs> it would, you'd, you'd be doing yeah, something revolutionary.
0: Well, yeah, um, a lot of fun. Whoever yeah, gets there first onto Boggy's left shoulder plays loose head, and whoever arrives on the right plays tight end just share
1: it out. yeah, before we finish off, I think I just wanted to check with you. I know you posted what you would want to see as a Potential starting lineup, but um, we have seen Jean Luc Dupree and Evan Rous both named on the bench for this rather than getting a start. Do you think that that means their chances for World Cup selection are pretty much done, or do you think that they're just being held back for some other reason and they aren't actually, uh, you know, sort of backup options for the World Cup squad?
0: No, I think they're their chances of going in the first choice squad are pretty dead and buried. I think they're being held along to keep them in the team environment in case of injuries. And we know that with World Cups and these prolonged schedules that injuries are near inevitable. You you usually have two or three guys pulling out um, during the tournament. Trevor Nikane knows that all too well. Uh, So I think they're probably wider squad members at this point. Um, As much as I am a massive fan of both of them and the way that they play their, their rugby, I just don't think they've been used enough or or given enough chances to to stake a claim. And I think that speaks to probably the coaching staff's intentions.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um Especially someone like Rouris, you have to think he has a big spend-back future, but uh, just after this World Cup, yeah. So hopefully bigger and better things will come for him. And maybe Jean-Luc too. he's still relatively young, I think. Um, but yeah, so I think... And,
0: uh, but, um, I, so Dwayne not rediscovered the form that he has, I think Evan Rees okay. was a brilliant shout of going yeah. as a, a backup eight. Um Perhaps playing even behind Crawford Smith, but still just going as a wider squad member maybe getting a game here or there against Scotland, Ponga, or one of those teams. But uh, at this stage, I just don't think with Dwayne playing the way he that he does and offering the leadership capacity that he does, I think Evan has to be satisfied with you know making his name as a springbok now and putting himself forward as a you know for the next four years really making that eight jersey his own, but yes, Bovis is not going to make it easy for him.
1: Yeah, I think that's very fair. Four years ago, if if we had said that Dwayne is going to make another World Cup, it Mm -hmm. would have, we would have not, yeah, maybe we would have laughed because he's what, 37, I think now. So he's really managed to keep going for someone of that age. So yeah, so final predictions. You said you were expecting a win. If you want to put a number on it, what are you going to say for this weekend? Um, seven. Mm I'm happy to. I'm happy to back you up. So you heard it here first. Springboks by seven this weekend, unless you heard it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that wraps it up for this week. Uh, we will be back next week to discuss this match and also potentially a Springboks squad that might or may we think is going to be named. Um, so that should be a lot of fun and discuss the path forward and all things leading up to the World Cup. Thanks for joining us. Cheers.